This week is Parshas Naso. Naso is the second installment in the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers. It is also the longest Parsha in the Torah. It has 176 verses, which incidentally, or probably coincidentally, is the exact same number of verses in the longest chapter in Psalms. The longest chapter in Psalms is Psalm 119. It's 176 verses. And the longest book of Talmud, the book of Baba Basra, also has 176 pages. What that means, I don't know. It is an interesting little tidbit. Now, this week's Parsha, it has at the end of the Parsha, maybe the reason why it's so long, it has something very odd, very strange, especially if someone's accustomed to learning Torah, to reading Torah, and certainly reading it with the commentaries and with the oral Torah, with the Talmud, you see something that you almost never see anywhere in, in all of Torah. This is chapter 7, and it's talking about what happens on the day that the Mishnah, the tabernacle, is finally completed. And it tells us that all the heads of the tribes brought offerings. What were the offerings? A silver bowl that weighed 130 shekels, a silver basin that weighed 70 shekels, both of them filled with fine flour and oil, a gold ladle that weighed 10 shekels filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, one sheep, one goat, two cattle, five, five ram, five goats, five sheep for a peace offering. It's a very detailed description of the offerings of the Nisim, of the heads of the tribe, on the day that the inauguration happened. Now, how many people is this? Twelve tribes. And therefore, it is twelve offerings. Each tribe and each head of the tribe brought the exact identical offering. But the way the Torah writes it, the way maybe you would think, especially if you're you're used to the Torah style, it's very it's very brief, it's very succinct, it tries to mince words. For some reason, it goes through day by day, offering by offering of each of the tribes, and it lists the exact same words 12 times for 12 tribes for 12 days of inauguration. And the question that all the commentaries try to figure out, why does it belabor the offerings of the heads of the tribes? It could have said quite simply, this was the offering. And 12 people brought that offering. And first day was this person, the head of this tribe. The next day was the head of that tribe. And the next day was the head of the third tribe. It could have condensed that whole section by, I don't know, maybe 70, 60, 70 verses. Some people have a custom, it's a mitzvah uh, that we're told in the Talmud, to read the entire Torah portion every week uh, twice with the commentary. So for people who do that, Think how much, how much you could have saved, how much time you could have saved if you just condensed it, especially in light of the fact that the Torah always opts to condense it. Now, it's also interesting that this is not the first time in the Book of Numbers that we see such a phenomenon. In last week's parsha, Parsha's Bamidbar, we see the same thing. It begins with counting of the tribes, and it goes through each tribe individually. And it lists the criteria of the counting— and then it lists the head of the tribe, and then it lists the numbers, and it moves to the next tribe. And it repeats the criteria of the counting 12 times. It could have, again, quite simply condensed it. Just tell us the criteria once and then go through the tribes and list, list, the, list the tribes. And then it goes on also, it tells us uh, the encampment. Each tribe, how many members were in the tribe, and how many members were in the four bunches of, 
uh, the four groups of tribes that bunch that, that that live together, and the flags and the neighbors, and it could have been more economical with the words like it typically does. Now, in addition, we know every year the parsha of Bamidbar, last week's parsha, is always the week before Shavuos, and the parsha of Naso, this week's parsha, is always the week after Shavuos. So we see like an oddity that doesn't really appear. It seems to go against the basic principles uh, of Torah, of Torah editing, if you will, of trying to condense the meaning into as few words as possible. We see instances where it doesn't it doesn't apply or seemingly doesn't apply, and it's sandwiching the holiday, the festival that we celebrate, the giving of the Torah on Shavuos. So the question I want to pose is why before and after Shavuos, last week's parsha, this week's parsha, do we see something very unusual that it goes through the heads of the tribe and the counting of the tribe and the encampment of the tribe and the flags of the tribe. It really gives us a lot of this information about the Jewish nation in broad terms, repeating the same idea, the same verses and the same ideas over and over again when it could have been much it could have been condensed, it could have been much uh, shorter. So I want to suggest an idea. In chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, we read about the Ten Commandments. And immediately prior to that, we're told that the Jewish people encamped at the foot of the mountain, the Jewish nation was united like one man with one heart, indivisible with one purpose. And all the commentaries talk about how the Jewish nation, when it's completely united as one, that is the nation that is worthy of accepting the Torah. If there was discord, if there was disunity, if there was infighting, if there was factionalism, fractionalism, or sectarianism, if there was any division amongst the nation, then they wouldn't be worthy to get the Torah. The Talmud points out that there's a vessel that is worthy of receiving Torah, and that vessel is called peace. When the Jewish people are together, we're united, we're indivisible, there's peace amongst us, that is a necessary precondition for the Torah. And I discovered this week maybe a reason as to why that may be. I was looking for a source of an idea that I was pretty convinced was true, I just had no idea where to find it. I've heard this been said over in other contexts, but I didn't know where, where it was sourced. And the idea is, is that Adam had a expansive, comprehensive soul. It encompassed or included, it was an amalgam of, of all the souls. That's the idea that I heard. And when he sinned, his soul was divvied up, was divided up into a billion different souls, one given to each human. That's the idea that I had heard. Now, the Talmud of the Book of Sanhedrin, on page 38, it talks about Adam. It talks about how Adam was so huge before the sin. And then after the sin, he was shrunk. But it doesn't go into detail and tell us that his soul incorporated all the other souls and then it was reduced and cut up into small pieces and given to everyone else. It doesn't say that. But it's an idea that I was very familiar with. I just didn't know the source for it. So I tried Googling it. And I couldn't really find the actual source. So I went online. There's a group online called Mikoros. Mikoros is the Hebrew word for sources. There's 2,500 people on the group. And if someone wants to find the source of a Torah idea, they go, they type it in, say, anyone here knows the source for this thing? So I went there and I put 
you know, I plugged it in and I typed in my question and I woke up the next day and there were a whole bunch of sources. And what I found, I found something very surprising. And I think it does relate to what we stand for as a nation, what the Torah is, and I think it will also help us answer our questions. Thank to those uh, helpful people online. I found a book called Shar Hagilgulim. This is one of the works of the Arizal. It's written by the Arizal's student, Reb Chaim Vital. And this is one of the works of, of Kabbalah that we get from the Arizal from Rabbi Isaac Luria. Now, Shar means gate. Gilgulim means reincarnation. So this is the gate of reincarnations. So obviously this is not a, this is a quite an esoteric, uh, arcane source. But someone pointed out, look at chapter 11. So I looked at chapter 11, and it says exactly what I was saying. It's slightly different. Exactly what I was looking for, but even though it was a little bit different. What does it say? It says that Adam had a comprehensive soul, a soul that encompassed. There was the only, there was only one soul, just Adam. However, that soul could be divided up into smaller, less expansive souls. And it goes on to say that initially there was just one soul, and that was the soul of Adam before his sin. And then it get, get divided up into three. One for Abraham, one for Isaac, one for Jacob. And then it got divided up into 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it got divided up into 70, the 70 souls that entered Egypt. And finally, it got divided up into 600,000 souls at Sinai at the foot of the mountain. The Jewish nation was comprised of 600,000 souls and that was Adam's one soul broken up into 600,000 smaller souls. That's what it says. And this to me was a, was was an insight because this was a little bit different than, the, than what I was looking for. I was looking for Adam being an amalgam of all of humanity. And here we're told that Adam's soul is an amalgam of the Jewish nation, not necessarily all of humanity, which is an interesting side note. What does this mean? This means that at Sinai, the Jewish nation, 600,000 souls, they're an exact replica of Adam before he sinned. Adam in, in paradise, Adam in heaven, Adam in the other sphere that is recreated at Sinai. And therefore, when it says that the Jewish people encamped at the foot of the mountain, like one man with one purpose, it doesn't mean that they were like one man, i.e. that they really had unity, but they were different. It means quite literally that there's recreating this status of one man, the original one man, Adam before sin, that exactly paralleled the Jewish nation, 600,000 Jews united as literally one man with one purpose at Sinai. So this kind of is bringing this whole idea into focus. There's Adam before his sin, Adam in this idyllic situation, where things are almost perfect. Of course, he sins and then it gets broken up. But now, at the foot of the mountain, it's reconstituted, so to speak. And in addition, I found something very interesting. There is a saying that originates in, uh, in classical Jewish literature that the word Yisrael, which is Israel, the Jewish nation, it actually stands for five different words. The five letters of Yisrael stand for five words. What are those five words? Yesh, Shishim, Ribui, Osios, La Torah. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah. So we see this, again, parallel. 
the Jewish nation, 600,000. Adam's soul brought up to 600,000. And the Torah, well, the 600,000 letters in the Torah. Now, just as an, a side note, if you actually count the letters in the Torah, you'll find that there's only 304,805 letters, or roughly half of what this source claims that there are. And there's many answers to resolve that particular question. Uh, for example, one of the answers is that if you actually count the words of the Torah together with the words of the Targum Unculus, the translation of Unculus, you'll end up with around 600,000. That's one answer. In addition, there's an answer that we, we read the Torah, but we also pronounce the Torah. And because there are some letters that you don't pronounce, therefore it's slightly less than 300,000 letters that you actually do pronounce, that equals to around 600,000. Alternatively, this is an idea that I had and I actually found it in other sources, that the Hebrew letters are actually composite letters, which means if you look at, for example, a mem, the way a mem is written out, it's basically like a chaf with a vav attached to it. So maybe what it means, 600,000 letters, it's not 600,000 letters the way we think of the 22 letters, but it's going down to even the mini letters that comprise other letters, and that and counting all those together would equate to 600,000. Regardless, there is this idea that the Torah equals also the number 600,000. So what I think this means is that the Jewish people, in order to get the Torah, we had to become the Torah, so to speak. We had to become spiritually worthy of receiving the Torah because when we united, we created this cohesive spiritual entity, which is 600,000, which is Adam Priestin, which is the Torah. Well, then we've earned it. And once we've earned it, then we actually are able to get it. Which is why, if you didn't have this unity, you didn't, the Jewish nation was not a replica of the Torah, well, then we wouldn't be worthy of earning it. And I think that if we go back to these parshios, the parsha of Bamid Bar Lasmi, the parsha of Naso this week, it's talking about the Jewish nation. And it's counting the 600,000 Jews of the, of the Jewish nation. And it goes through tribe by tribe. And it gives every tribe the spotlight, counting it who was their leader and where did they encamp. And how many people? And gives the criteria for each individual tribe. I think what it's trying to tell us, it's telling us that everyone is needed. It's not just like, oh, we need to just count them because we need to know what God knows the number. God doesn't need our help counting. It's a lesson for us. Every individual is needed because without, if one person opts out, you don't have this complete entity. If you don't have a complete entity, you don't have the ability to have Torah. If you have a Torah scroll today, and it's missing just one letter. Even if you have 304,804 letters that are correct, and only one of them is incorrect, the whole Torah scroll is not val- is, is invalid. Similarly, if you did not have the Jewish people united at the mountain, there was one guy who opted out, you wouldn't have the ability to have Torah. It had to be exactly like one man. If there's any parts that are lost, it doesn't count. You wouldn't be worthy of getting the Torah, just like the Torah itself would not be complete without all 600,000 letters there. And I think there's also another angle to this point. It's not just that everyone is needed, but everyone is unique. Just like if you have all 600,000 letters of the Torah, each one of them is different. Each one of them is conveying a different message. And thus, when we're told that the Jewish nation mirrors the Torah, 
not only are we all needed, but we're all unique and we all receive our own portion. The Midrash tells us that at Sinai, each individual received the understanding of Torah on their level, in the way they understood. The old people were given it with a certain flavor, the young people with a different flavor, the men, the women, the children. Everyone had their own experience. Yes, the content was the same, but the flavor and the understanding and the interpretation was different for each individual. And the commentaries, uh, like the Ramchal, for example, he explains that there's 600,000 explanations of Torah because each one was given their own individual Torah. We have a prayer that we say multiple times a day. Give us our portion in Torah. What that means is that every one of these souls, every individual in the Jewish nation, has their own portion in Torah. And we're praying, give us what's ours. It's already mine. I just need to access it. But each one of us is unique because each one of us had our own, so to speak, experience at Sinai. And I think this kind of duality that we were a community and we had to be united as one community, as one entity to get Torah. But the Torah giving itself actually highlights and accentuates the individuality of each person. Each one of the 600,000 is unique. We read this week's Parsha. It goes through the 12 tribes, and it goes through the heads of the tribe. And every tribe has their own pride. This is our head, and this is the offering that they brought. And it belabors, again, it does It does add words. It says, like, the, the same words for each tribe. And the answer is that it's trying to give us over this message. Each tribe, each individual in that tribe is needed. Each tribe, each individual in the tribe is unique. Last week we had that idea, counting the tribes, describing their encampment, where they camped, with whom they camped, what were their flags, who were their neighbors, what is the exact number of each of the tribes. Last week, this week we have a very similar thing, and in the middle we have Shavuos, we have Torah. This should revolutionize the way we perceive Torah. It's not just like this dogma that we get from God and we have to apply it to ourselves. It's given by God to me and to you and to every Jew individually. Not only that, the only way for the nation to get it is if every Jew does their share. And our nation cannot be complete, and our nation's acceptance of Torah cannot be complete unless we're all on board. Every Jew could walk around and say, listen, if not for me, like if I don't buy in, the whole nation suffers. If we were at Sinai today, and not everyone was on board, we wouldn't be getting Torah. A very powerful idea that I think should help us maximize our interaction and our appreciation and our study of Torah to know that this is mine. It's mine. It's my heritage. It's what my ancestors loved, cherished above all else, died for if necessary, but also for me, for me as an individual, for me as a Jew, this is mine, this is my birthright, this is my heritage, this is my Torah, and I have to make the most of it, and the nation depends upon me.